Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fire the Cannon podcast. Normally, this is the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide which ones belong or not. But today, we have a special guest. Now let's introduce your hosts. Today, as usual, I'm your host, Rachel. As usual, I'm your other host, Jackie. (laughs) As usual, I'm the producer, Theo. Executive producer. Oh, right. Executive producer. I always forget. I got a promotion. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't forget. (laughs) Whenever there's a guest, you forget. You may have noticed that our previous two episodes were about The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And because that book has come into the public domain recently, we've gotten a few different takes on it that have been published and sold for money and it didn't break copyright law and one of the authors of one of those books a book which i really liked that's called the chosen and the beautiful she abides by the laws she's never broken one. not a criminal notably not a criminal as far as we know <laughs> so that author nevo is with us today hi i'm me i'm so happy to be here thank you for having me yay, yay. we're happy to yay. have you we're happy to have you i actually have kind of a a funny little story about your book, which mm. is I bought it and started reading it. This was a while ago, like not super long ago, because it hasn't been out that long, but several months at least. And I thought, oh, this is great. I bet my friend Tra would like this. So I bought another copy and I met up with her and she ha- also had a copy of a book to give me. And it was a different book, but we exchanged oh. <laughs> books like without telling each other that we were giving each other books. That's just the sweetest. That's fantastic. Yeah, and it, it, it was cute. Normally we like, we have kind of like a romance novel club and we share, like we pass them around a, a circle of like six people. But I, I thought you were going to say that you have a romance and I was like, oh, does Steven know about that? But <laughs> normally, <laughs> yeah, it'd be great if she had also given you the same exact book and then you like gift of the magi each other with your books no but she did give me a good book which is on earth we're briefly gorgeous so that's a little recommendation if you want something else to read kind of emotionally draining that's ocean vuong right (laughs) ocean vuong yeah 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 his stuff's fantastic is that a novel he's usually a poet right i think he originally was a poet i believe that one might be a memoir and i think he also has written a novel that's out now triple threat (laughs) i might have gotten the order switched but he's done all three i'm sure of that yeah, awesome. Well, um, Nee, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Do you have like a little elevator speech that you give when people meet you and try to tell you that your name is pronounced wrong or something? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I guess if I'm going to elevator pitch myself, uh, queer Asian American writer living off the shores of Lake Michigan, I nearly got run over the day that I started reading The Great Gatsby in high school. <gasps> And I very seldom turn down invitations for sushi. So just to let everyone know, the the more places I say it, the more likely it's going to happen someday. (laughs) We'll get all of our listeners to mail you some sushi. To mail you some sushi. (laughs) It's funny because normally the earth doesn't foreshadow what's going to happen in the book you're reading. Art imitating (laughs) life. And I'm just saying, you know, do you think I'm afraid to eat male sushi? I eat festival sushi. It's, I I know no fear. So you want, do you have a P.O. box for receiving sushi (laughs) Is that what you're saying? (laughs) I'm saying that if you send me fish, there's a chance it will end up in my mouth regardless. So, you know, it depends on how much you like my novel and how much you want me to keep writing. I, I, you know, I'll look into it. I will look into it because I have liked, I've read, I haven't, I just bought Siren Queen yesterday, Mm -hmm. but I just bought it yesterday. haven't read it yet, but I've read all of your novellas. So maybe I will send you sushi. Quick unrelated to books question. You live in the Midwest. I do. Are you familiar with Sushi Bakes? 
No, what the hell is that? <laughs> I also live in the Midwest and I don't know what that is. That's new to me. So, okay. So when I first heard about it, I was like, oh no, gross, disgusting. It's it's like sushi rice and you put tuna and other things on it and you put it in the oven. But then, so my family is Hawaiian and Filipino. Then I found out they're very popular in Hawaii. So I was like, okay, <laughs> now I'm intrigued. I'm going to try making it. So I, I made one that was like, um, I used a vegan tuna brand that, I think it's called Good Catch, not sponsored, but I wish I was. And it tastes very <laughs> realistic, but I, I had like a weird Super Bowl party with one friend and we just didn't watch the Super Bowl and we also ate this sushi bake and it was really I good. I hate to break it to you, but I don't think you had a Super Bowl party. Sushi bake party. <laughs> <laughs> I think we played Settlers of Catan. It was me, Steven, and my friend Jordan. <laughs> By that token, anything that I do on the day the Super Bowl happens is a Super Bowl party. I'm taking a Super Bowl nap. Yeah, take a Super Bowl nap. Um, you have to have a special snack, I think. Uh-huh. And then it's a Super Bowl party. Yeah, the classic Super Bowl snack, the sushi bake. I haven't heard of that. No, so you live on, you said the shores of Lake Michigan. Yep. Stupid question. Do you live in Michigan? No, no, I'm actually across the lake from them. I'm in uh, Wisconsin and I live in Milwaukee. Okay, so oh. that wasn't that stupid of a question then. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, you know, home of the cannibal sandwich, all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. What is that? Tell us, yeah. Okay, the cannibal sandwich is basically a Milwaukee delicacy. Where I am, mostly it is toast with raw ground beef uh, spread on top of it, sometimes with raw onions on top of it. Usually it's a Christmas treat. It's beautiful. Every year, the health department, the emergency rooms uh, post an article in the newspaper saying, please, for the love of Christ, stop doing this. If you're going to do it, here's how you do it safely. And the article is as much a tradition as the food poisoning. So, wow. so people make this on their own? They don't go to like get a nice beef tartare or something like that? <laughs> no, no. Traditionally, you, you, it's, it's, it's on like a kitchen table someplace and you just help yourself without the benefit of refrigeration. Uh, wow. have, have they not discovered fire over in Milwaukee? Um, <laughs> we do have fire. We love fire clearly here. Clearly they, they toasted the bread, but everything yeah, else they, they were just like, we forgot to cook the rest Ice of this. Ice cold, yeah. <laughs> it's, okay, there's a lot of winter up here. So if we can remember that something died to give us calories, we feel better about it. Yeah. <laughs> I really like Midwesterners. I think they're so funny and charming. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are like one generation removed from worshiping corn. So, you know, yeah. we keep that one in mind. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't consider myself to be a Midwesterner. I solidly refuse to put that label on myself. You better not. I'm not. The, I'm... the three of us are all from North Carolina. We met at a nerd summer camp when we were teens. Oh, that's great. We're spread around now. I'm in North Carolina, soon to be Georgia. Theo's uh. in Texas and Jackie is in Ohio. Cincinnati. But she wishes she wasn't. Yes. Sorry, Ohioans. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people in Cincinnati feel this way. She just doesn't have family over there. <laughs> I don't have family. I have a chosen family, but... Um, it's five cats. <laughs> it's five cats and a dog. She, she yeah. does have five cats. Plus or minus two. <laughs> <laughs> I do have five cats. Um, but so I was reading um, your book, which so we can talk a little bit about the, the book that caused this um collab to happen yeah (laughs) yeah this episode um which is the chosen and the beautiful Mm -hmm. right i got that in the right order i Mm -hmm. didn't switch that's correct okay I mean, I don't always, so yeah, well done. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the Fitzgerald novel is the beautiful and the damned, so yours takes beautiful and puts it second. Okay, chosen <laughs> the beautiful. 
got it. Um, <laughs> don't don't try to use a mnemonic device with a different Fitzgerald book to remember this book's title. Like I think you're going to get more confused. No, I've gotten it straight so far. <laughs> okay. So that is, I'll let you you know describe it. But it takes place in a variety of places, like The Great Gatsby. <laughs> mostly takes place in Long Island, but the characters are from Louisville and um, other places in the Midwest. And so your version kind of goes back into some of those like prequel stories in those other cities in the Midwest. And I literally spent time today like looking up a map of the Ohio (laughs) River and seeing like where it touches and trying to figure out like geographically where all this stuff was happening. It was it was a lot. It was a lot. (laughs) That's why it was taking you so long because I was like, Jackie, it's not that long of a book. Normally when when I invite writers on. So I was I had really bad COVID, like long COVID, and I was unemployed for a very long time. It's okay. It's over now. Barely. I just got a job a couple weeks ago. And I'm, Congratulations. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. I'm glad I have it. But basically, I had so much free time. So I was the one. I read a lot more books than Jackie and Theo. Like, like at least 10 times as many, I would probably say. Certainly for Theo, but probably for Jackie. And I'm the one who's re- read the books from the writers we have on. Usually, Jackie and Theo haven't read them. But this time, I was like, Jackie, it's short enough. You have to read it. <laughs> and she and has done. It. She has done it, and she liked most it. of it. I'm I'm not all the way done yet. <laughs> well, you know, there is actually a twist. So, I mean, I guess it's good that you don't know it because then we won't spoil it for the listeners. I assume there would be a twist. <laughs> okay, but you get two knowledgeable podcast hosts this time instead of just one. <laughs> oh, lovely! Would you like to give the the audience who hasn't read the book an overview of it? Because um, you could do it in a smarter way than I just did. <laughs> See, the benefit is that Tor.com has done a lot of marketing and I can, and, and I've actually sat down some of those meetings. Yeah. So basically, as far as I've been told, this book is uh, <laughs> sort of a coming of age story set in the world of The Great Gatsby featuring uh, Jordan Baker from The Great Gatsby, who happens to be a queer Asian American woman living in a magical 1920s. Mm. Literally magical. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I better emphasize that. People have had some trouble with that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, when I told them about it before, I was like, it's the great Gatsby, but Jordan Baker is a Vietnamese adoptee and Gatsby is literally the devil's nephew, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's bisexual. And we were like, yeah. And she was like, well, explicitly they are. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay, that, that's different. Yeah. That, that didn't quite make the, the, the book jacket copy, but I was kind of hoping it would. Yeah. They're on the page. Yeah. It's very clear. Yeah. Well, so can you tell us a little bit about like, you said that you almost got hit by a car the day you started reading. Can you tell us kind of about your experience? Like when you first read the book, what did you think and why did you read it? And, you know, et cetera. Sure. And are you really glad that you didn't read Twister that day instead? <laughs> okay, I'm I'm 40 years old, so Twister I think is actually after the time I was in high school. I had no idea if it was even a book, so that was very lucky. <laughs> I don't think it is a book. Whatever. The novelization of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> high school would be better if the Twister were a book we had to read. Oh, yeah. They were novelizing novelizationizing a lot of movies in the 90s, so I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah. Did it come out in the 90s? You took a noun and turned it into a verb, and then you took that verb noun and turned it into a verb, and then you took the verb noun verb and turned it into a noun again. And I'll never stop. I'll keep going. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. Um, I had to read it in high school. It was, you know, uh, part of our great American canon, so, you know, it was going to definitely end up on the advanced placement test, so of course I had to read it. 
the day we started it is uh, stands out because I was trying to, you know, I was trying to walk home from school and I cut across the uh, school parking lot and uh, I sort of got politely nudged out of the oh. way by a car. Oh. <laughs> there's, no, wow. there's no way for a car for, for a car to politely nudge a teenager. <laughs> there just isn't. Um, so that was, I mean, I, I did fall over. I didn't die. So I'll call that a win. Oh, thank God. I was worried. <laughs> but if we had a ghost on the podcast, that would be amazing for our clout. <laughs> that would be the most incredible thing. And yeah, that is absolutely like, you know, authors you could bring back from the dead just to say, come on now. Hey. What are you thinking? Oh, if I had Charles Dickens on, I would yell at him. Edith Wharton. Oh, yeah. Edith Wharton and Ethan Frome. <laughs> Rachel, you have company. You're not the only person on this podcast who's been hit by a car now. Oh, Oh, yeah. that's nice. Aww. Yeah, I agree. Theo, Theo almost got hit and the car got mad at him. <laughs> I hit someone with a car. Yeah, Jackie has. She's not a very safe person to be a pedestrian around. Oh, no. He's got to look both ways. Because Jackie's coming for you. <laughs> anyway, um, no, so you, you didn't die. Everything's fine. And so, let's see. When I was in high school, I genuinely loved The Great Gatsby. It was one of the books that mm. I read. And there's this thing about being a teenager, I think, where all your feelings are so big, you can barely contain them. And fortunately, we don't actually get to act on those emotions but then you have The Great Gatsby, where they actually do act on those huge <laughs> emotions, and it does re- result in a vehicular manslaughter and, um, mm-hmm. and you know, a murder-suicide. So it, it's, it, yeah. it, it, it very much resonated with me, or at least the way that I experienced uh, my teenage years, yeah. I guess. It's almost like you shouldn't take kids and put them into wars and then give them a bunch of alcohol and then set them loose. Yeah. <laughs> almost like you shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that at all. I mean, I, f- I fear we, we, we have a couple more centuries of this, and maybe we'll try something different, you know? That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wish we would have started that, you know, right before I was born, at the very least. Um, as far as books with huge emotions go, did you read Wuthering Heights when you were a teenager as well? Or have you read it? I have read uh, Wuthering Heights. And honestly, I think my intense dislike for most of the characters came <laughs> around to being something like being almost affectionate with them. Mm-hmm. Patting them on the head. <laughs> exactly. Like, dear God, that's an, an awful lot you have going on here. Yes, let's ruin some more lives. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how it's supposed to be. I mean, and we talk a lot about this with other authors, but a lot of readers make the mistake or what what we think is a mistake of saying, well, these characters aren't likable. So this book was bad. And it's like, that's not the point <laughs> that doesn't yeah. make a good or bad book necessarily that's been a you know that's a repeated discourse on twitter is like yeah oh kids these days they think that blah 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 but uh, if you read a lot of the kind of like morality parables from the 1800s or early 1900s you'll see that that's not a new thing you know people thinking that characters have to be good people <laughs> So I'm not concerned. (laughs) Well, just imagine like how awful Emily Bronte as a writer would have been Mm. if she was trying to write good, likable characters (laughs) and she messed up bad enough to write Heathcliff and Kathy. Like that would be, you don't understand anything, Emily. I feel like Emily, it's for for Emily, it's very much, I have this inside me and now I'm going to make it your problem one way or another. (laughs) Without really saying whose problem it's going to be, but it's going to be someone's problem. That's, I think that's wonderful. Right. I have to say for us, Wuthering Heights has been one of our more popular book miniseries, so it was I would say it's more of a solution. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I had a little little question. Hmm. So you said that when you first read The Great Gatsby, you liked it. Did your opinion change or you continued to like it? Um, it's, well, you know, it's, it's, 
It's one of those books that I think it's very much locked in time. It's it's a vo- novel from the 1920s, and I got to grow up and grow older, and it stays a novel from the 1920s. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the book doesn't change. I very much did. So as I got older, I started looking for more pieces inside the book that felt weird or felt broken or felt like they were missing. Mm-hmm. Because one of the my favorite things about The Great Gatsby, which I didn't really figure out until I started rereading it to, in preparation for writing The Chosen and the Beautiful, is that... Fitzgerald fits a ton into 42,000 words. I double his word count for Chosen, and I felt I had to do it because he is very good at packing so much of his life and his world into 42,000 words. There is so much that he throws away as a casual aside, assuming his audience is reading in the 1920s. Mm. And when I started to unfold it, when I started actually looking up the songs he mentions, when I start looking up what a hydroplane is, <laughs> it, it, that, that, was, that was a weirdly difficult night for me for some reason. Um, <laughs> there's so much in there. And it's hard not to have an opinion that changes and fluctuates and evolves when you realize, for example, what something like the Twilight Sleep is, which I'm very happy I got to explicate in Chosen, and which he throws away as an aside, assuming that we would know what the Twilight Sleep was in The Great Gatsby. Well, I definitely noticed as well that you did actually explain what a costumed baby act is. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, there. but there, you're right. There are so many little poetic spaces that could be filled in there. But that was definitely the one that I was most curious because so the book, like, <laughs> it takes the actual dialogue from The Great Gatsby and just builds a world and builds characters around that and, of course, adds to it. But it's so interesting because it's like, okay, I just read The Great Gatsby, so I know what's going to happen next, you know, to these characters from this perspective, but I don't know how it's going to go when he retells it. And that's been one of my favorite things is like seeing the actual dialogue get repeated, but it means something so different. Mm. I mean, that's just going to a party, right? It's, you know, (laughs) you go to a party, you have a conversation with someone and there's a chance they go home and thinks, wow, that went really well. And you think, oh shit, I'm never going to talk to that guy again. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's just life. That's just going to parties, which is why I don't. Yeah, because you don't want to have to talk to that guy again. We all know that guy, by the way. We all know that guy. Yeah, COVID, who cares? Yeah. Talking to guys, <laughs> no thank you. Yeah. yeah. Hey, in my defense, I hated parties before this. It was, you know, it's. I looked at the world of The Great Gatsby when I was a teenager and thought, no, that looks like hell. Really? So I understand that Gatsby's parties have lots of problems and lots of problematic people at them, but I still kind of want to go to one. You don't? You never want to go to one? Oh my God, yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. No, 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 no. That's that. That's sort of the funny part about them because it was incredibly fun to write about because mm-hmm. I never had to be near any of these people. Mm. Right. But okay, so we were sending some, sam- my, my by we I mean my agent Diana Fox and I, we're sending some sample chapters to Roshi Chen over at Tor.com. And um, we hit this point and Diana says to me, okay, Nee, no pressure, but you need to nail the parties. And I'm like, ah, I'm like, okay, fine. (laughs) So I wrote the party scenes and she's like, hmm. And I'm like, please. She's like, why don't you try going to a party? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, my agent understands me. She would never make me go to a party. (laughs) You'll do anything for art, but not that. No, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll give her credit for this. She actually checked all of my liquor research actually, because Mm. I don't drink. Yes, there is so many cocktails in this, and Theo doesn't drink, and I thought Theo wouldn't get this book because he doesn't know what all these different cocktails are, and you don't drink either. That's really interesting. Wow, you pulled that off. Uh, Most of the cocktails are actually real. It's 
Um, so I, start, I did a fair amount of research into 1920s alcohol consumption. You know, we're, we're in the prohibition, we're into the space where people never really stop drinking, but now they have to do it differently. Mm-hmm. There's a fair amount of evidence that says cocktails are meant to make the good liquor go further. There's some evidence that says we would like to cover up the taste of this thing that might make you blind. <laughs> it was very interesting, but the real place where Diana really shines is we wrote up the reader's guide for The Chosen and the Beautiful, and one of the parts there is there's uh, three drink recipes, um, two classic and one's a mocktail. So I think for me, because she felt bad for me, <laughs> but uh, she actually checked all of those res- uh, checked those recipes for us. So that's that's all for Diana. Wow. You're like the third writer we've had on where I'm thinking, we've got to get their editor on sometime. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Talk with Diana. Diana's tons of fun. I don't know why anyone wants to talk to, talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. We're already doing it. You have to stick with us. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> so obviously you've probably been asked this question before, but I haven't seen it answered. I wonder, you know, what was it? Because you've written obviously books that are not based on other books. What was it a, that made you want to inhabit this space? And basically, what inspired you to want to tell it from the perspective of Jordan? Okay, this is sort of a weird question. I mean, you know, I was, I, it was something that I loved as a kid. So, you know, I was kind of, I've always wanted to sort of just open up the stories I, I, I love and just see what makes them tick or what we're missing out on or even what I could add to it after a while. But the real genesis for Jordan and the world she lives in. Basically, it happened. Um, I was actually writing something else. I was writing a, a book about a girl raised by ghosts, which I think sounds super cool, just for the record. <laughs> and I was on the phone with Diana, and I was telling her about that, and she's like, "Huh? Are you working on anything else?" And um, and basically, what I did was I just sort of, you know, off the cuff pitched the chosen, and the beautiful to her, more or less as it stands, which is. Well, how about a retelling of The Great Gatsby told from the point of view of a queer Jordan Baker who is Vietnamese American and queer? And there's this long pause on the phone. And I'm like, cool, I finally said something so stupid, my agent's going to dump me. (laughs) And she says to me instead, she says to me very, very patiently, I would like you to stop writing the book you're writing and go write that one instead Mm. because it's coming out of copyright in uh, 2021. And I'm like, oh, okay. Then I did research for like a month or so. And I wrote The Chosen the Beautiful in about three months or so, I think. So, you know, that was between a wedding and I think like helping some friends move. So it was kind of a, kind of this big summary blur. Kind of like the book is. <laughs> it's all a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a big yeah. summary blur with lots that goes on and just so much heat and pressure and goopiness and alcohol and <sighs> magic. And you're just so ready for it to be done, but you can't imagine it being over. So was it kind of like you had a stray thought and your agent said or your editor said, no, actually, that's super timely and you have to chase that down? That's exactly what happened. Yes. Wow. Okay. (laughs) so I guess my question is, you know, there have been there have been so many takes on classics, like particularly, you know, the Iliad, the Odyssey, whatever, fairy tales and so on and so on. Did you ever get a little bit intimidated? like? This is this is the great American novel, according to a lot of people. Were you kind of nervous or were you like, I just want to get my fingerprints all over that thing? (laughs) Sort of both. And also like you're taking you're taking like this very interesting stance on like someone who was not born in America, but is an American. And like now we're getting it from that perspective. That's really interesting. Also, like a very white book, like he sees (laughs) Mm -hmm. black people and he like barely interacts with a Jewish guy. But it's just a very white book. So let's see. Um, I was a little bit nervous about it. And then Tor.com announced it. Oh, 
<laughs> Too late. Then I got a message. They called. They called it uh, a joyless cash grab. I'm like, I'm done feeling bad about this. <gasps> uh, so uh, let's see. Uh, no, actually, because here's this thing. Um, you guys work a great deal with the canon of American literature, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a public school student in the United States, you do not have a choice about whether or not you read those right. books. That's not a call you make. So the most generous way I can think of the American canon is that it is a gift. It has been offered to us, it has been given to us, and people don't get to get mad what you do with their gifts if they if they meant it honestly. It's not only been given, it's been forced upon us. <laughs> well, I, if they want if they want to say they gave it to me, it's 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 mine now. Right, you know? <laughs> right. They can't stop me from doing shit with it. Yeah. So uh yeah, it, it sort of came down to uh to that and you know, hell, my agent thought it was a good idea, so you know, I don't talk to many other people. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly a good idea. I I think it was a good idea. Yeah, it's just I guess um, you know so many of the classics, like I mentioned with fairy tales, you know most of them mm-hmm. they don't have an author. Like the author is like the collective subconscious of a society in a particular time that, and it's been changed so much. But with these, like well, that—that's what Nia is. She, she's the collective voice of the culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, right. 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 Yeah. Audience, you're not able to see this, but she's kind of like a glowing orb situation. <laughs> that is how I've always wanted to be seen. <laughs> we see your aura. <laughs> but like the newer, you know, canonical works, they have a specific writer. You know, even uh, the Odyssey doesn't have one writer necessarily. Like the version that we have does, but we know, you know, it's bits and pieces taken from other things. So it's, it's just... I I really admire the boldness of writers who, you know, stir that up. (laughs) I was actually on an interview with one of the descendants of uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and she didn't call me names, so I'm going to pretend that that went okay. Oh, Oh, I don't. (laughs) She was very sweet. She was incredibly sweet. Okay, I'm going to say, though, I don't understand people who are, like, protective of an ancestor's legacy because I haven't said this on the pod but on my white side, I'm descended from Robert E. Lee, and I'm very much in favor of taking his statues down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we've never addressed that on the pod, but... Um. I know, I'm <laughs> descended from a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it's funny, too, because, um, yeah, why would you be upset at someone taking what is clearly a tribute, mm-hmm. in a way, to your, your ancestors' writing? Um, because it will definitely cause people to want to read The Great Gatsby or reread it who haven't already read it. And mm-hmm. also, it's not like you're, you know, taking it apart you're, and, you know, turning it into something bad. You, you're you turning it around and turning it into a different work of art. When I'm reading this, I was thinking it would have been enough to me to simply take it to be from the perspective of Jordan mm. and make her queer and when you didn't even need any of the magic stuff. Make her queer. Like, come on. <laughs> right, whatever. We saw how like, those girls reacted to her at the party. <laughs> make her explicitly queer. And you didn't even need the magic to make that interesting. But then you add that on and that adds like an entire other layer. So why did you decide to do the magical part instead of um, or in addition to the other stuff that you changed? Because no one stopped me in time. Um, <laughs> I'm a fantasist. Uh, the rest of uh, the rest of my work is uh, is fantasy of one sort or another. I've never really wanted to be anything else, and it's not fun if I can't make someone at least question whether or not something I wrote was a metaphor or not. At least a few times in, in the book, mm-hmm. I guess it's, it's it's like you know playing tricks with God. <clears throat> uh, but I wanted to have fun. Like uh, like I've said a few times, I'm not a writer 
not to do the thing that I want to do. Yeah. If, if I'm going to be doing this job, if I'm going to be doing this job and not something that is, you know, on the whole more stable or more reliable, why shouldn't I have fun writing the thing I want to write? And right. the thing I wanted to write was a lot of paper cutting magic and some sex and mm-hmm. um, and devils in New York. Hmm. And and I was going to ask, so um, there's multiple like references to different kinds of magic, like American swamp magic and then like this kind of <laughs> underground French magic and then just, I don't forget, the, I remember the terms you, that you used, but what, can you tell us anything about like the paper cutting magic? Is that rooted in Vietnamese myth or is that from a certain culture? I'd never heard of that before. Or did you just make that up? Uh, Paper cutting is actually uh, sort of a pan-Asian art. A lot of people developed it around about the same time. It probably has its roots, they're guessing, in China. And it didn't even really start out with paper. It started out with people actually making pretty cuts in large leaves or even with leather. And one of the things that has always struck me about uh, paper cutting as an art is its accessibility. It was always, if you have some paper, you can do it. If you have a little knife or, Mm. you know, just a sharp edge, you can make some interesting cuts in paper. And throughout a lot of its history, although of course there are people who have elevated it to a culture, uh, to, you know, cultural fine art, it's predominantly been practiced by people who were at home. It's been practiced by women. It's been practiced by children. The thing is, there was this moment when I read uh, The Great Gatsby on page Basically, I think like page two or three, Hmm. Nick mentions the idea that one of his ancestors sent someone to fight in his place in the Civil War, which is a great comment Mm -hmm. on legitimacy and identity. And we never really talk about that, I think, as much as I would have loved to talk about that in class. But, you know, it made me think of the idea of uh, paper sons, which is, you know, how a fair number of Chinese immigrants gained entry to the United States during the 1800s when the only people who could come over were relatives. And so they became relatives on paper. Mm. I've always loved the idea that those connections were retained even after they came to the United States. It wasn't like a one-off sale of identity. It really became a connection and identity and a family in this new place. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of where the paper piece ties in. And then I just thought of what a cool image it would be to um, to cut a paper lion and have it come to life. And I thought, that's too cool. I'll just, I'll just use that. That's fine. <laughs> so just for the audience who may not have read the book, there is there's all kinds of magic, like different forms of magic in The Chosen and the Beautiful. The character Jordan Baker, who is the main character of The Chosen and the Beautiful, she does this paper cutting magic. So she's able to cut paper and kind of make it real. And she does animals, people, all kinds of different things. And this is a a style of magic that is not, it's not seen very often in the US, I guess I would say. And it's not necessarily respected. Wouldn't you say it's more seen as like entertainment than something that's on par with the stuff that's more common? Or am I am I totally <laughs> describing that wrong? Also, she seems to not feel like she can really control it very well. Yeah, she's so she's an adoptee and isn't she's not really around very many other Vietnamese people. So I guess she does feel very separated from her roots and doesn't really have someone who could act as a mentor. Just if you're someone who hasn't read The Chosen and the Beautiful and you're like, what are they talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Someone's going through their AP guide going, I don't remember this. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that, Nee? Like, is what Rachel said accurate for you? (laughs) I think it is. I mean, it's, it's broadly generally accurate. 
Um, when I was creating the magic in the book, I, I'm not very fond of chosen one mythologies. Mm. I'm not very fond of, you know, the bloodline is true and therefore you can do this or that. However, there are some traits that are carried forward genetically. And part of the fun of uh, the magic in The Chosen, the Beautiful, and also in Siren Queen, which more or less takes place in the same world, if about 10 years later, is the idea that magic is, uh, it's a lot like food. What is American magic like? What's American food like? What's French <laughs> magic like? What's French food like? And if you're standing outside of it, you can get kind of a broad, general, if somewhat inaccurate idea of what it is. But the deeper you go and the more personal it is, you start dividing it up into, well, that's Vietnamese food. Well, is it Southern, Central, or Northern? And then it's like, well, what do you put fish sauce in? What do you put, uh, you know, and then it's it's all, it's it's very granular and it becomes very personal. And your opinion of it becomes very personal as well, because I have never met people who have the same opinion on, on food ever, like <laughs> my whole life. Mm. I think that's the fun part of it. I, I think that's the fun part of how Jordan views her magic and how people who were raised among other Vietnamese people view their magic and why Jordan is such a mess when it comes to meeting other Vietnamese people. <laughs> she notably in the book meets a performer, right, at one of Gatsby's mm -hmm. parties. And he is Vietnamese and it doesn't go super smoothly. <laughs> I also really have apparently have issues with the I'm instantly home narratives. Yeah. The person you are is always the person you are. And the damage that you hold, you will carry it forward with you as you meet other people and get that damage on them as well, which is something Jordan's actually pretty good at. <laughs> I think in some ways humans like to run our lives on rails. We like these patterns and these templates, and we like it when the person we are is the same person that other people see. And that's that's impossible. Mm -hmm. If you are an immigrant, if you are queer, if you are disabled, if you're anything more than just a shade off the norm, you get these fractures in your identity, you know, who you can be with who. And uh, I think that's one of those things where hopping from identity to identity can be very difficult. And it's still real. It's still you, but mm -hmm. you have to make the transition. Yeah. And Jordan is really, really interesting as a character because she really does very little of that code switching. Like she's pretty much just herself <laughs> all of the time, unapologetically. She's trying very hard and yeah. it works better for her some days and it works worse for her some days. So. Right. So it's like there's almost a, a cautionary tale there about um, when you decide to fully be yourself. How is that going to maybe not work for you sometimes? And is it worth it anyway? And she talks a lot about like, you know, Nick asks her, hey, what are you, what are you interested in? Like, what are you worried about? What do you value? She says, knowing myself, taking care of myself, like being smart, being, you know, interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a lot of, she's very like inwardly focused, but I think in a good way, in an interesting way. It's one of the most American things about her, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Normally when we cover these books, Jackie and I kind of switch back and forth on who's like the boss for the book episode in terms of like who's writing the outline of what we need to cover and kind of guiding the discussion. But Jackie was quite busy these past couple weeks, so I did like the whole Great Gatsby. And I noticed that most of the quotes that I wrote down were from Jordan. <laughs> I love the way she talks, don't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's not in the whole book. Like, notably, Theo noticed this. Nick kind of ignores her for most of the second half of the book. But when she's there, <laughs> she's always got a zinger. <laughs> so I can definitely see why if someone's going to write a take on it, they would be like, Jordan, she's the perspective character. I want. Did you guys notice the um, the point where Nick is setting up that meeting, that disastrous meeting with 
his first meeting with Daisy again after all those years. And do you ever wonder what the hell's going on with Jordan's perspective there? Because either she's stone cold evil and says, yes, Daisy can just meet the long lost love of her life with no preparation. Yeah. Or she's lying to Nick. And I, I decided she's lying to Nick. That's that's way more interesting. It was one of those things that Close Read taught me. And I'm like, mm. Yeah, I never thought about that. But that's a really good point. Like what Daisy or uh, Jordan knew about this the whole time and like didn't warn Daisy at all. Right. Or she did. Or she did. And we just don't know about it. Right. I mean, I thought uh, the way that you wrote Nick was really interesting because Nick has like no personality in the Fitzgerald version or at least he he claim he wants to seem like he has you know no personality like hey I was just here I just witnessed it I didn't have anything to do with all this whatever yeah people just kept forcing me to watch their arguments and their flirtations I am not legally liable yeah he's like a wide-eyed like midwestern but he's also like got this little devilish side to him and Jordan seems to really like him much more than she did in in F. Scott Fitzgerald's book. I thought that was good. I mean, obviously, you're wanting to write, like, a sexy book and, like, a romantic book. So, obviously, you're going to need the characters to like each other. (laughs) Obviously, you want to write a sexy book. Well, she said she did, so. (laughs) Of course I do. (laughs) So, it wouldn't be very sexy if they were just like, eh, we don't... We don't see each other a lot, and I'm not really that into this guy. <laughs> well, you know, in the in the original book, Nick, he re- he keeps revealing things. Like towards the end, he's like, "Yeah, Jordan and I talk on the phone for like two hours every day. That's pretty normal." <laughs> and then you're like, "Wait a second, why did you not talk about her for three chapters?" <laughs> That's one of the weirdest parts of the book. As I went through when I did my close reads, I feel like when it comes to Western canon, Nick is one of the first really obvious unreliable narrators we're introduced to. Mm. That's important. That's an important for our understanding as readers. It's important for our understanding of uh, The Great Gatsby. And when you re- when you think with, about the idea that Nick is lying for one reason or other, whether he's trying to protect himself or who else he might be trying to protect, in this case, honestly, I'm pretty sure he's trying to protect Gatsby in places. I'm also only joking a little bit when I say I would like, when he when I imagine Nick saying, I would like to avoid any legal responsibility for all the bullshit that just happened, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that makes sense. <laughs> so I don't know if, it's, it's not been announced, but I have written it. I wrote this sequel novella called Don't Sleep With The Dead, which is actually from <gasps> Nick's point of view. It's not been announced or anything. Oh. But getting to write Nick was very, very different from getting to write Jordan. And I will say that Jordan does appear in Don't Sleep With The Dead, and her first lines are, and fuck you too, Nick Carraway. And he's like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> that tracks. So you don't really ship them is what it sounds like. <laughs> um, you, you wrote like a long shipping of them, but you don't ship them in the end. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, I'm old school fandom. I can be a multi-shipper. I do not do one true ships. Friends to enemies to lovers, perhaps? <laughs> to enemies. Maybe a trilogy? Well, I mean, come on. She says, fuck you too. That's her first thing on seeing him after their breakup. I'm just saying. No, I'm saying friends to enemies to lovers to enemies. Like I was adding that oh, on. Two enemies. <laughs> yeah, and then maybe to co-workers and then my boss and then like my boyfriend's <laughs> twin brother. Like who knows? <laughs> I think for me, it's like during the course of, of The Chosen and the Beautiful, it's important to remember how old uh, Daisy is and what place she is in life. Like uh, I might be actually kind of bad at doing, you know, one true love or love forever narratives. I mm. They don't sit terribly well with me, especially when the characters are fairly young. Jordan has got a long, weird and interesting life ahead of her. I can tell everyone that that's what she has. And honestly, so does Nick. This is, I mean, we love the, I think once again, we love the idea of getting settled 
and no such animal. Not these days. Probably never was. So mm-hmm. anytime you're reading one of my novels, I feel like you're catching someone in a period of transition, which is honestly when people are the most interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't think of many novels. Maybe Rachel can because she does read at least 10 times more than me. Where uh, You're saying the character, that like it's not definitely true. <laughs> not, it is definitely true, 100%. <laughs> but especially novels because I read a lot of nonfiction. But um, I can't think of many where the characters are generally just in stasis. And nothing happens to them. Goosebumps <laughs> books. Let's just talk about, you know, the the pinnacle of literature here. Always in a yeah. period of transition. Oh, yeah. And me, if you ever want to talk Goosebumps books, we have like a Patreon exclusive <laughs> mini series where we're very slowly working our way through the Goosebumps books. <laughs> Are you familiar with those? Yeah. I'm very familiar with Goosebumps. Um, I used to get dropped off at school pretty early and my teacher had like a whole row of them so i just worked my way down them Uh, i think i read more um christopher pike maybe who was also like another Mm -hmm. teen horror novel and he was just really gory now that i'm thinking about it like (laughs) like like like, you know people like falling into haystacks and getting stabbed through with pitchforks and a guy trying to walk along the top of a wall that gets narrower and narrower and then he slips and gets split down the middle god my my high school library was pretty hardcore i mean that just teaches you don't go outside don't go near hay don't walk on any walls don't talk to people don't go to parties for sure i could don't go to parties i could see rachel got so excited when you said you got dropped because i thought she i i also thought you were gonna say that you got delivered a shipment of goosebumps books every month because that's what happened with me rachel is that what you thought That's awesome. Uh, I was kind of like, oh, is she a member of Bump Patrol? <laughs> no, no, I just, I was just a latchkey kid. <laughs> I yeah, we um, Jackie got uh, like a, a hot fresh goosebump every month, and Theo read them at school, and I purposefully never read them because I did not want to be scared. And we've explained this dynamic like six times on this podcast because every time a new guest comes, we have to. I know, but we have to tell them. Hey, audience, isn't knee great? Yes. Yeah. She is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are too. So why don't you go on patreon.com slash fire the cannon, that's C-A-N-O-N, and then you can find various ways to support us in our greatness. Yes. Probably the best rewards tier to pick is $3 or more. <laughs> so basically anyone except for the lowest one. <laughs> Come on, you got to ask you get... for a little more. You don't have to be three. It could be three. It could be five. It could be 10. It could be 25. Yeah. Whatever you want. Basically the best is anything. Anything. As high as you can do. <laughs> anything as high as you can do. And, and so for just $3 a month, just for the price of some moderately caged eggs <laughs> you can get access to all of our bonus episodes such as we recently put out one about was shakespeare actually a real person i think rachel proved he wasn't what right? no you'll have to listen to the episode to find out um we also have a feature on our patreon called drinking the book which doesn't have that many entries right now but i think rachel you should totally make a a 20s themed cocktail. I'm going to do a gin ricky. There we go. Because they talked about it in Gatsby. Yep. So those um, are book inspired cocktails created by Rachel. So, whoa, creative. Mm-hmm. Hashtag creative. Yeah. And then we have some other fun things on there as well. So thanks. And we appreciate the support. Not going to lie. Yeah. Why lie, you know? Not me. Also, you can go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five star rating and a review. We love that. And a thumbs up on Spotify, please. Yeah. I mean, if you insist, you can. Like, yeah. I'm not asking you to, but I mean, if you're on there hovering over those five stars, yeah, I guess you could do it. Yeah. You can do it. You don't have to ask. 
All right, back to the episode. But yeah, so that's really interesting that, you know, so it's not been announced, but you have written this thing from the perspective of Nick. Um, mm. Are we allowed to keep that? Yeah. yeah. Can we leave that <laughs> the podcast or we need to take it out? I think I'm allowed to talk about that. Yeah. Consider this the announcement. <laughs> Consider this the announcement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess I just want to know more about um, this. Again, it feels like a very vague kind of general question, but it, it always ends up being a really interesting answer. Um, so no pressure. But I just love <laughs> to hear about how people decided to become writers and how, you know, you actually took that, you know, first step into becoming a professional writer, because obviously, you know, a lot of us scribble as kids and it takes a lot to turn that into an actual thing that you do as an adult. OK, um, let's see. I was I was in primary school and I learned what a dictionary was, mm. you know, and my primary school teacher was, you know, just giving us the general rundown on what a dictionary was, which is like, all the words are in this book. And it just sort of lit this light bulb in my head. And I'm like, all books are rearrangements of those words. <laughs> Everything I need is right here. I just need to put them in the right order. Wow. And uh, that's kind of how that started. That is such an interesting answer. I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> I had no, no idea. Like that is an interesting yeah. thought for a kid to have. I will be the millionth monkey at the typewriter. It just <laughs> rearranges the words. <laughs> no, really, that's it, it was it, it, in my head. There's this just image of like, you know, a big box with a bunch of words. And if I just shake them right, it turns into a novel. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, it was one of those things where I got a I got a fair amount of early encouragement from writing, you know, like little cash prizes from like the newspaper, things like that. Hmm. Let's see. Um, after that, I, you know, it's. I, I mean, I went to school, didn't go to school for writing. Um, I have a double degree in something or other from the University of Illinois. Something or other. <laughs> That's what it feels like now. It's a really difficult degree program to get into, I hear. I, it, was, it was surprisingly challenging, but deeply rewarding. Uh, so I got, out of, I got out of school straight into a, into a recession, um, picked up a third shift, uh, third shift uh, tech support job. Hmm. And the nice thing about third shift is that no one bothers you and the people who do they're going to be fine, they're, they're fine. <laughs> hey we'll worry about this in the morning can i help you with anything else get a good night's sleep call back yeah, basically <laughs> yeah uh let's see and then i started worrying about losing my job so i picked up another job working phone sex and then a friend of a friend got me involved in doing copywriting which was yay writing for money and then i realized hmm. wait these are just words i can do words so uh i started doing if you need a girl to talk about how to lance alpaca abscesses or raise cockroaches, I'm the person to to write that manual for you if you, if you send me enough raw information. Hmm. That that it, it sounds like you had three jobs in a row. Oh no, these are concurrent. Oh, three jobs at the same time where you had people mm. who like they basically knew what they wanted you to say and you <laughs> had to say it to them. And then when you are a romance author, you're taking phone sex and writing and just kind of putting it together. <laughs> yeah, it just it just seems like weirdly those would kind of prepare you to yeah. you know, rewrite a classic. <laughs> A certain amount of lying and a certain amount of understanding that you need to make word count. Yeah. <laughs> like I worked at a restaurant and Target at the same time. Like, what did that prepare me for? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> well, clearly genetic counseling, since that's what you're doing. There you go. I guess so. Yeah. Or podcasting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Podcasting. <laughs> I did get assaulted by a stranger. So, I mean, eh, in a way, that's kind of like putting your work out there. Yeah, okay. He was 10 years old, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. A child. <laughs> a child punched your butt. <laughs> it wasn't my butt. <laughs> 
my back. <laughs> your boob? Oh, punch your back. Something that starts with a B. Oh my god, I I worked at a I worked at a Chinese restaurant when I was a teenager, and I was like, you know, dishing out the food and putting it down, and this tiny child in a hairy chair just starts patting me on the chest, and I'm like, there's no graceful way out of this. Yeah, yeah, he didn't punch me on the butt. God. <laughs> punched you on the back i'm just saying if you say i was assaulted by a stranger that's different from being like a kid punched me in the back uh, yeah right <laughs> he was a stranger <laughs> we were not friends strange looking you're right you are technically correct with what you said <laughs> whatever neat do you have any advice then now that you've done it now that you have written you know you've written your own take on a classic so i for a while i've been working on a version of I don't know if you're familiar with the book All American Girl by Louisa May Alcott. What? I've been trying to do like a magical version of it. You know, the woman who Ooh. wrote Little Women? Mm-hmm. Oh. She wrote a less well-known book called, I think, is it called All American Girl? Let me see what it's All called. American Girl is also that no, book by me, uh, Megan Cabot. Let me see. No, I might be mixing it up with the Meg Cabot book. Yeah. Let me see. I might I was be like, getting what? it wrong because I've been using my own title when I refer to I it. really thought that you were going to say by Meg Cabot and then you said Louisa May Alcott. No, no, no. I could not do that. What is it actually called? <sighs> Let me see. Because I, it's been like four years where I've been kind of writing bits and rethinking it because coming up with a magic system is very hard for me. I don't know how it is for you. Is it an old-fashioned girl? Old-fashioned girl. I, You know what? I did read Meg Cabot again recently, and that's what got stuck in my head. I, I love Meg Cabot, but yeah. <laughs> so I've been trying to work on like a fantasy version, and I'm coming up with this magic system, but there's a lot of magic systems that are like weirdly hierarchical, and I don't want that. And anyway, do you have, I mean, you wrote a fantasy version of the classic, and that's, I mean, my, the one that I'm kind of toying with is obviously much less well known. The fact that I forgot the title should tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, what advice would you have to someone who's interested in doing that themselves? Um, it helps to have large emotions about the originating work. <laughs> it keeps you entertained. It keeps you mad. It keeps you in love. And that's 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 great. I will say that uh, regarding this about the magic system, when was the last time you questioned a fairy tale? Like maybe when you go we'll go back about it as an adult and as a uh, someone who you know reads books professionally and takes them apart, that's one thing. But when fairy tales are the most important to us, we don't really read them to question them. We don't question that you be nice to animals or you, of course, you give the old woman your, your food. And of course the old woman's Baba Yaga and this is just a thing that happens to children apparently. <laughs> I feel like you can get a long way on the fact that so much of life is saying, well, this might as well happen now, you know? <laughs> it's good to know things, but the thing that I'm working on uh, beginning of next year is actually a, a dark academic novel. Oh. Basically, dark academia. Very on trend. And one of my favorite aesthetics, I have to say. <laughs> it's a fantastic aesthetic. Follow a lot of dark academia Instagram accounts. <laughs> I am very excited because sweater vests are back in style, which is why I wore one today. I was noticing your sweater vest. <laughs> that is a lovely sweater vest. Thank you. I actually have one that this it's not the one I'm wearing. I got this one recently and I, I told my fiance today that I was like, sorry, we just got engaged. So it's weird for me to say that. But um, I was like, I'm going to wear my sweater vest today. I'm going to plan an outfit around it. <laughs> but I have one that I bought like eight years ago, and I've been waiting for sweater vests to come back in style. So I'm very excited. But I, I hope, you know, Dark Academia is here to stay because I like that vibe. It's perfect for fall, winter. It, it's fantastic. For any of our listeners who, who don't know what Dark Academia is, you can go to like Aesthetic Wiki, actually, and look this. <laughs> I loved finding that because it's like a Wikipedia 
of all of the different aesthetics, aesthetics that people come <laughs> up with. Yeah, which is just like we mentioned cottagecore on an episode with Sarah Gailey. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. That's actually the theme of our Facebook chat. They have a cottagecore theme. You know, the current <laughs> aesthetic that's popping off is Coastal Grandmother. I saw like this uh, fashion YouTuber that I had watched a video of in my suggested feed. It was like, what is Coastal Grandmother aesthetic? And I kind of bookmarked it to watch later. And Stephen and I have been looking for a house to buy in Atlanta because we have to move for my job. And one of the descriptions was like the perfect coastal grandmother style house. And I'm like, who of house buying age is looking for a coastal grandmother house? No, this is why I'm so excited that Gen Z is like growing up and getting jobs. And then like millennials are also in charge of shit because this is the kind of stuff that we do. We're like, Mark, like, hey, here's a dark academia house. Dark academia is (laughs) what it sounds like. It's like old leather books and like mahogany wood and crows. Yeah, like cozy sweaters, sweaters. but also like, Oxfords. I don't know. Do you want to add anything to that knee? <laughs> um, okay, so this is, I mean, no, it's it's very much an aesthetic. It's it's the valorization of, um, in some ways, the Western canon of classic education. Yeah. And I just, I, I wanted to say this because I haven't had a chance to really share this one yet. But so I pitched it to, I pitched it to Diana, my agent again. Mm-hmm. And she she's very excited about it because she's contractually required to be excited about everything I do. <laughs> she signed on the line. It's, it's a done deal for her. <laughs> and she says, you know what? I cannot wait for you to do this because so many of the, the authors who do, you know, who do dark academia stuff, you know, they went to like Smith or Harvard and, you know, they're really Ivy League. Mm. And I think you'll have a different perspective to bring on. I'm like, that is the nicest way to say that I went to a state school that I've ever heard. <laughs> I think it'd be really exciting to see dark academia from um, someone who's illiterate functionally. Um. <laughs> Theo's the only one of us who didn't go to a state school, right, Theo? Yeah, only private schools. Although technically our school was a Southern Ivy, so we get to be a little... Jackie and I went to UNC Chapel Hill. Oh, sure. Although I did go to Duke for law school. Yeah, so she's a So trainer. I guess that's a private school. And it's got, you know, the the Duke Chapel is like that fake Gothic, which is so infuriating to me. Like, I'm sorry, but to me, architectural styles, they kind of grow out of a place. And when you take the style and you put it in a different place and you don't take into account like the climate and, you know, the terrain, it just makes me angry. It's like when I see those weird Finnish style box houses just in the middle of Durham, I'm like, why are you doing that here? This is not where you're supposed to be. Like, there's a style here. Just do what makes sense for the climate. Or like when I see someone walking a Malamute or a Husky or something and it's like 100 degrees outside and I'm just like, that mm-hmm. dog isn't for here. But that's why they call Duke the University of New Jersey at Durham. Yeah. It's, it's out of place. <laughs> yeah, they do call it that. Yeah, I went, I loved going to the, the U of I, but mm-hmm. I mean, one of my favorite facts about it is the fact that um, basically right across the street from the uh, primary campus, there's a patch of experimental corn. When they built the undergrad library, the, the library is literally underground because it wasn't allowed to throw shade onto the experimental corn. Whoa. Did you say undergrad library is also underground? It is. Wow. It is, it is underground. And we're also famous for a brief time for our fistulated cow, which is a cow with a surgical hole in it. Mm. I love that school. Yes, I've seen I've seen that cow. It's a great cow. U of I is University of Iowa, right? Is that what you said? University of Illinois. 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 Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. My grandfather was an Illinois farmer, so I, I see why they prioritize the health of corn over the health of undergrads. <laughs> <laughs> 
You can always get a new undergrad, I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, they'll bounce back. It's totally fine. Every ear of corn is unique, like a snowflake. I think they once bred some corn that couldn't stand up, which is a weird year. Hmm. <laughs> it just sort of, like, trailed like vines. It was a bad idea. Oh, Whoa. yeah. That, I could think of better ways to have corn. Um, yeah. You know, when you're thinking about what you want to do next, I know you said <laughs> a lot of your answers, which I've loved, have been just like, yeah, why not do that? I don't know, because no one stopped me. Like, yeah. <laughs> what other, like, weird shit do you foresee uh, just doing? Or, like, dream projects, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see. I have wanted to find a way into a story about Tristan Isolde, the Arthurian legend, mm. for about a decade now. Wow. I have a book that I don't think it's technically been bought yet, but it's basically, uh, it's called The City in Glass. It is called, it is basically 400 years of grief and city planning. <laughs> there is a novelette I want to write, which is called, uh, it's tentatively called, titled Fox Roads, because I went on a weird research binge a while back and read up on a lot of bank robbers from the 1930s. Mm. That's probably set in the same world as uh, Chosen and Siren Queen. You know, there's this thing about this girl who buries her heart in the garden and what grows out of it. You know, it's whatever. You're kind of <laughs> just like a like a font of ideas. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, no, ideas are never the problem. Yeah. It's like the cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like when we've talked to like we've done a bunch of interviews with writers, I feel like Premi Mohammed was also kind of like, Oh yeah, I've got this idea, this idea, this idea. <laughs> I was gonna say you do remind me of Premi Mohammed because you you both just have this like kinda like the like yeah, why sense not? of humor. Yeah, yeah, which again I just love because people I think a lot of people think writers are gonna be like very precious, you know. Oh god. Mm, serious. Yeah. Dark academics. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm 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 a trashy little raccoon. Uh, <laughs> apparently, once again, I keep all my stories seem to be about Diana because I, I've just talked to her recently. But mm. she apparently shared my most recent novella, which isn't in print yet, with uh, someone she knows. And apparently, the person was like, "Oh, she. I'm, I'm just wondering what it's like to talk to her. Like, she must be so mysterious." And I think Diana like laughed in her face. <laughs> oh my gosh! She said she's a raccoon. <laughs> she's, she's literally a raccoon, and it's we had to get her a special a special keyboard because her little paws couldn't quite reach the keys. You know? oh. <laughs> of the books of yours that I have read, though, I have to say your personality is not that similar to any of your main characters. <laughs> I was shocked when you said you don't like parties. I was like, what? <laughs> Why do you like the Great yeah. Gatsby? <laughs> People have to want to spend at least, you know, a couple hours reading my books. People don't even want to spend like more than an hour hanging out with me, which is why podcasts are about an hour. Seriously. <laughs> I don't understand why. That was not sarcastic, by the way. I know it sounded sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 fun. Jackie has a very flat tone that sometimes comes across sarcastic when she doesn't mean it to. <laughs> well, so we are approaching the end of your timeline. So to kind of close things out, that sounds I mean, ominous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the the orb is starting to shimmer and and dissipate a little bit, <laughs> pulsate and release. Rachel is death. Also, we forgot to mention that. <laughs> My time on this plane is drawing to a close. I will be taking no more calls, and I will be going to no more events. <laughs> it's been an honor to have uh, you as. Um, well, it's it's been an honor for you to have us as your last interview. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but before your time is up. We have a question we wanted to ask you. We said we were going to do that in our second Great Gatsby episode, which has not been released. And that question is, normally when we read one of the, you know, canonical books, we say, are we firing this bad boy out of the canon or are we leaving it in? <laughs> and we were ambivalent. Theo said from just hearing the plot, fire that thing. Jackie was like, "What you, you said keep it in, right? I, I said I really, really love the prose. I thought it was so beautiful. And I but think you weren't that sure if 
high schoolers should read it. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, I was going to say, I feel like me, you really like, you obviously have gorgeous prose. So I feel like you paid, I, I keep wanting to say paid tribute, but that's not what I mean to say. Like, that's obviously your own work. I just feel like it went really well. Basically, like your prose really complements, I think, the actual original book. So that's what I really love so much about both of those. Mm. I, we also say this a lot, which is totally true. I read it in high school because I had to, and I didn't have the same feelings about it because I wasn't smart enough. So yes, maybe I want it to be taught to high schoolers. I just want it to be taught better mm. and differently. Well, regardless... What we said was, we're going to let our guests decide if we're firing this book out of the Western canon or leaving it in. We have a biased guest. Are we sure we're going <laughs> to? Well, she might be like, fire that out and put mine in there. So he yeah. knows. <laughs> because Thea loves to say, yeah, fire this and have someone write a better version of it. So honestly, yeah, Theo, you may have. That's usually his response. <laughs> yeah. Do you know I have, I've actually gotten messages that people are teaching chosen with the great gatsby and that's just like this moment where i stare at my email and going what happened to my life this doesn't happen to raccoons (laughs) (laughs) i should be eating garbage (laughs) (laughs) i should be eating garbage right now don't know why i'm not i should be washing my little hands in a creek (laughs) yeah hold on let me go check my po box for my fish mail (laughs) 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 call me fish mail (laughs) theo's like embarrassed to know me right now (laughs) So, Nee, what do you, I mean, what do you think? Do you think it deserves to be a canonical work? Is it the great American novel? Is it a great American novel? Like, what's your opinion now, now that you've spent so much time close reading this bad boy? Keep it and make them watch, and make them watch one of the movies, because the book does, if you're, uh, if you're not being a very careful reader, you don't realize how fucking ridiculous those people are. Mm. You really need them in front of you acting as badly as Fitzgerald meant for them to act. Mm. That I think has some value. And I think that has something to say about the twenties and how we feel about America and what we want to be and fame. Mm -hmm. But that is really hard to get from just reading it. I think that they might be better served maybe reading it, maybe watch and then watching a movie with it. That's, I think that'd be fantastic. Do you have a version that you recommend? Cause I know the, the one that came out a few years ago, a lot of people really love. I've not seen it. I've only seen the older version and I have a terrible story about watching it in high school, oh, no. but do you have like a favorite? Uh, I like the DiCaprio version. Um, I did watch the one with um, Ant-Man, Paul Rudd. That, that one was interesting, but I think the iconic one is the one with um, Leonardo DiCaprio in it because they managed to hit the age difference between uh, Gatsby and Daisy pretty well. And I'm like, oh, you nailed that. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just any DiCaprio film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's in his, it's in his uh, contract. you got to have a yeah. big age gap with the main actress. I should have asked this earlier, but I do have a final question. Mm. What's your personal opinion with regards to Nick and Mr. McKee? And second of all, what do you think Fitzgerald meant to say with that scene? <laughs> I think that I do think that Fitzgerald was hinting at a certain queerness and ambivalence with Nick. Whether you choose to read it as homosexuality is one thing, whether you choose to read it as something um, that is more indicative of the type of person he thinks Nick is using homosexuality to represent something unreliable, which is something that a lot of writers at the time did. Mm. My personal take is, yeah, they fucked. That's, I mean, that's, that one's not, that's not hard for me. You've seen, you've seen the tree in the rain scene. Come on. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, come on, the guy was grasping a lever without noticing. I beg your pardon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. For anyone who didn't remember from the last or didn't listen to the last episode, there's a character, um, a scene in which Nick goes home with an artiste named Mr. McKee. There's like this very quickly passed over scene in which they dot 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 yeah i was drunk and yeah (laughs) 
I was drunk. We went home together. I watched him in bed for a little bit. We did some very vague things and then it was over and I'm not going to explain anything else. So, yeah. Have you seen the timeline that someone worked out for that? Because Nick is in a very specific place when he is with Mr. McKee. The next time we see him, he is on a specific, um, he's at a specific like train station or intersection. Mm. This is stuff that Fitzgerald is actually really meticulous about. And someone said, it does not take three hours to get from one oh. space to another. What? Hat. So there actually is a time gap there. Huh. And I actually will mm. give Fitzgerald that he's he's meticulous, and that's he doesn't really put much in by accident, if anything. Right. Theo mm. should have caught that because he lived in New York. Although I guess he didn't read the book, so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, Theo should have caught that. <laughs> Every New Yorker can just instinctually tell. <laughs> yeah, he's the only one of us who lived in New York. Theo Theo is a composer. That's why I just want to you know, excuse him for having gone to so many private schools. There's only so many schools where you can get like a master's and then a PhD in music composition. <laughs> Do you know how intimidating it was writing this book, being a native Midwesterner and having oh. both your, both people editing it basically be uh, native, uh, base, uh, native New Yorkers. That was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Deeply terrifying. But I mean, like, they didn't live in New York in the 20s. And honestly, like, living in Cincinnati, <laughs> I see so much more of the 20s still around me. They use Cincinnati as, like, a set in old New York movies because <laughs> it still looks like how New York used to look in large part. Like, Carol was set here. Oh, really? I'm just, there's others that I don't know of, but... The list goes Carol, on. et cetera. Carol, like, there was this movie called Carol. Um, there was this other one <laughs> with Kate Blanchett. Yeah. It was called Carol, you know. <laughs> So the Midwest has a lot of old 20s charm that, you know, New York has kind of lost now because everything is just turned into like a Balenciaga or something. I don't know. I feel like I literally know one native New Yorker and that's it. So whatever. There are a lot of them. <laughs> sure there are. It counts for this book, certainly. <laughs> I am mad that the that East and West egg don't look a damn thing like eggs. Like not at all. An egg has a very distinct shape. <laughs> there was a lot of alcohol going on in the 1920s. <laughs> yeah, this thing with these protrusions, that's an egg. <laughs> yeah, it did, I mean, it did occur to me when I was reading. I was just like, my God, like I get it. Jordan's 20, 21. But like, how does she drink so much? And she's not described really, but like, does she have a pot belly? Because she must. Like, she does nothing but no, drink. She's an athlete. She's a golfer. <laughs> you know, they they keep it tight. People like keep it tight. How did how does she do that? <laughs> Liquid lunches. We we talk a lot about her drinking. We do not talk a lot about her eating. That's what oh, I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Also, 20-year-old uh, metabolism doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. She never eats. She never sleeps. She does nothing but drink and stay up and use magic and have sex. So And play golf. Don't forget the golf. And play, and whatever. The golf. Whatever. Well, <laughs> it's been really, really fun talking to you. Thank you so much for agreeing to chat with us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we would love to have you on again, actually, after your next Great Gatsby sequel comes out and I read it. <laughs> Are you going to do one from every character? Because I really want one from like... Ghost Gatsby. Ghost, I really want one from Myrtle. I want one from the guy who sells Myrtle the puppies. I want one from... The dog. Myrtle's dog. Do you know how hard it is? Not just whenever people say things like that. I'm like, eh, I'm just going to send you a file. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I've got they it. They really want me not to do that ever. <laughs> like they, they would really prefer that I didn't. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. We'll take a file. And I also will be emailing you a recipe for a sushi bake. Don't worry. Oh, yeah, no. That sounds like a nightmare I haven't had yet. <laughs> it's honestly, honestly, it's it's shockingly good. No, it sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. It, it's carbs plus protein. It's you'll, you'll probably be fine. Yeah. Basically, it's mm. rice with a topping, and you buy those little, like, the gim sheets in the pack, and mm. you just kind of, like, scoop out some of the casserole and put it in each seaweed mm. sheet and eat it. 
It's pretty good. And I know you guys don't have don't have ovens over there. So if you want to come to my house and use mine, like we can in bake, we can cook. Yeah, no, not in not in Milwaukee apparently. No, it's just we just graze off 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 raw flesh, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have toasters and they don't have stoves. Right. Exactly. Well, we do have some pretty good uh I was going to say sushi. Sushi is actually a restaurant, but we do have some good sushi restaurants in Cincinnati. <laughs> so, Nia, if you're ever in the area, here I am formally inviting you to sushi, and I will not Thank you so much. It will not come from a mailbox. Probably. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even asking for that, but no, thank you. I'd, I'd love to take you up on that someday. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Theo, you got anything else to add or just general concurrence? It's all great. It's been a great episode. He's really happy because normally our recordings are like two plus hours. So he's probably like an hour it. and 20 minutes. This is going to yeah. be awesome. <laughs> Do you have anything, Nee, that you would like to say in following up? I mean, obviously um, you have an agent, so you don't need us to you know do tons of promo but we're happy to promo whatever you want oh yeah did we forget anything yeah, any promo plugs oh no let's see uh siren queen just came out mm-hmm. i've got a novella coming out at the end of october but honestly this was just so much fun thank you really so much for having me and here's a question have you guys done an ethan from episode yet not yet no but i'm ah, just wondering do you want to be on it yeah if you're interested we will hit you up uh, no i'm gonna swear too much i, I will <laughs> no, swear we, too much and i'm sorry for that we curse all the time we curse all the fucking time we've toned it down because we have a guest <laughs> <laughs> this is like the cleanest episode we've ever had and it and it did include multiple mentions of phone sex so <laughs> yeah we joked about doing like a, a family-friendly episode where we would just bleep out everything but we would curse more than usual and <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't do it because Theo, it would be really annoying for him. Oh. To edit that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, you're welcome on our Ethan Frome episode when we do it, but um, no pressure. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. It's been great to have you. Should we say goodbye? We should. And we should also say, I'm going to reiterate, if you have not read any of Nevo's work, I highly recommend The Chosen and the Beautiful. I haven't read Siren Queen yet, but I'm sure it's great. I also really love The Empress of Salt and Fortune, which is a novella. So if you don't have a ton of time, I recommend that. And also, which which one came first? Was it, yeah, When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain is also really good. There's, there's a lot. And you also are, you know, as of now, you're kind of novella heavy. So if you're someone who, you know, thinks you don't have the commitment it takes for a full book, Nevo's the writer for you. Okay. <laughs> Good promo? Sounds great. Yeah, that's that's what I need. All right, let's say bye. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks so much. Bye. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great to see you. Goodbye, guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Wait, wasn't Nia a great guest? I think Wait she a second. was. Yeah, she was. Yeah, we had a great time talking to her. And maybe she'll come back again. Maybe other people will come on the podcast. Who knows? You'll just have to listen to every episode to see. <laughs> Yeah, she might come back on and we won't put her name in the title. So if you want to catch her, you're going to have to really pay attention. <laughs> Listen to every episode. Like, oh, and here's Neva. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, check us out on social media. We're at Fire the Cannon Pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, uh, email mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Fire the Cannon Pod at gmail.com. And then Fire the Cannon Pod.com is our site. Check it out. You get a little taste of you know our style. You can see pictures of us too if you don't know what we look like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I also, oh, sorry, we, we have a Facebook group. I was going to say, I also have a Facebook. (laughs) 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 If you want to see more pics. Send Theo a friend request on Facebook. You can tell it's him because, because all three of us are in his profile picture, which is so cute. Yeah. Seriously. Rachel and I have not returned the favor by putting 
him in our Facebook profile pictures. One time my profile picture was just Theo with no one else. What is that which about? Steven did as a joke. So Oh, nice. Oh. Yeah. That guy. Classic prank from Steve. Yeah. Great guy. All right. And was everyone giving you compliments? They were like, Looking Jackie, good, your Jack. skin has improved. <laughs> <laughs> what a callback to your own harsh words. I don't know if that's meant to insult me or him, but we're both unhappy. All right, that's it. I'm cropping my profile picture. No. No, don't do it. Leave us in there so people know you have female friends. (laughs) Crop yourself out and just mash me and Rachel together. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. And then I'll put a Theo on either side of you. Ooh. (laughs) It's going to get really weird. (laughs) That would be funny. Yeah, do it. I would love that. Or a Theo just in the background peering out of the leaves or something. (laughs) I had a great time with my friends. Here's a picture of us, and it's me and Rachel and Theo, like, peeking out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look at my female friends. I, I'm in this picture with them. Can we actually make that our new promo stuff? Is It's actually two Theos and then it's Rachel and Jackie. So people are like, oh, this is a balanced podcast. Yeah, two men, two women. Two men, two women. This is the exec- This is the producer and this is the executive producer. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I get a new job title, I, there's a new Theo. Oh, God. Oh, that's smart. And then if they see one with like three Theos, they, they think, oh, I have to listen to that episode so I know yeah. what his position is now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that totally derailed everything. So check out Theo's Facebook. It's awesome. He's got a really great picture up there. Um, and I post a status once every three years or so. so. Yeah. Well, he feels yeah. the same for about three years at a time. So yeah, thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy and we hope you'll come back next time. If you haven't already checked out our Great Gatsby episodes, go ahead and do so because we don't just explain the book. We also we make, jokes. make it fun. Yeah. And make jokes. Yeah. Also, we got to give one special shout out to a very special birthday boy. He's a beloved favorite. His name is Steven. He's a powerful supporter and patron of this podcast. And he's Rachel's fiance. Cheers to you, Steven. Cheers to your birthday. Blow some candles out for us. All right. Bye, y'all. See you next week. Oh, let's announce what we're doing next week. Do we even know? Oh, my gosh. The metamorphosis. (laughs) (laughs) He's back. He's turned into something else. (laughs) This time we read it backwards, so he turns back into a human. Yeah. (laughs) That is so funny. (laughs) Someone should write that. What? It's like this like the sister comes in to like bring him his bowl of milk and bread and he and like he's just there and he's like, Hey what's up? And everyone freaks out again. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me just say this. Next Thursday is the first day of Hispanic Heritage Month, which is insane to me because it's the middle of the month. Wow. (laughs) So come back next week and find out if we've decided to honor that month or not. (laughs) (laughs) And and don't make any meaning out of it if we don't. (laughs) I think we actually might be doing Dracula, so don't get your hopes up. Maybe maybe Dracula's Latino, who knows? All right. Bye. Bye, honeys. Bye-bye.